Yo, my name is Tanksley, and I'm about to be on Dave's Head's podcast. Don't miss it. We had a great conversation and uh, can't wait to get into it. You know, vibe out with us. Let's go. What's up? Welcome back. Good people. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are, and however we're together. Thank you for being here. I'm Dave. This is Dave's head. So what's in my head? I took the month off, right? I told you guys I was taking off June. I had so much stuff I had to do, so much traveling, so many events. Didn't want to short the podcast. Didn't want to short you guys on quality content bad editing, all that stuff. So I said, I'm going to take off June just to make sure I can get all these things done. I got so much going on the rest of this year. I needed the month. I went to Charlotte, had a good time, very good time. Went to New Orleans, had a great time, an amazing time. Played in a charity golf tournament with some of my great friends, great brothers. We had a great time that day, that night, next day as well. A couple barbecues mixed in here or there. That's my deuce. Shout out to my deuce. Celebrated not one, but two of my cousin's birthdays and a bunch of other stuff. I, I just did a lot in a month. There's no way I could do quality episodes. But I thank you for joining me back here for episode 11. By the way, happy birthday to my sister as well. She celebrated a birthday in June. So there was so much stuff going on in June. Just tremendous amount of stuff. There was no way I could do an episode. So thank you for coming back after the break and a lot's happened since that break first of all let's start with bill cosby um yeah he got released early his charges and conviction got vacated and the judge even said they're barring the da from re-prosecuting that case at all now i just want to put this out there you know i'm very transparent very direct very honest about the things i say and the things i feel i don't believe bill cosby's innocent I believe the prosecution was stupid. Now, how many law and order episodes have we seen where someone's agreed to testify, provide information with immunity from prosecution? Yeah, I literally pulled out the law and order card. How the hell did they do this so badly? I don't understand it. Fire everybody, seriously. Fire every single person that was on that prosecution. Who was aware that there was a deal in place? Let's just say that. Because, you know, everybody on the team may not have known. But somehow they thought they could get away with this. Any average lawyer, knowing a deal was put in place, even if it's verbally, it's binding. And so Cosby is free. Now he's got the civil stuff to, to worry about. But there's part of the argument that says back then, Everybody was doing quaaludes and all types of stuff, getting drunk, having sex, getting high, doing all types of stuff. Why are they singing out, singling out Bill Cosby? There's a theory about Bill Cosby wanting to buy some networks. And the timing that all this stuff happened was to prevent that from happening. I don't know the facts. I just know what the rumors are. Is it plausible? Yeah, it, it absolutely is plausible that this is rooted in 
preventing a level up, so to speak, for Bill Cosby. Who knows? I just know that prosecution's stupid. The second thing that's on my mind is something that I don't consider stupid at all. And this is a tough one for me. So Shikari Richardson, amazing track star, beautiful, beautiful soul, beautiful woman, um, was set to bring home the gold in the 100 meter, maybe the relay as well, for the Olympics that are upcoming in Tokyo. And she's not racing anymore. She's not running at all anymore. Because she tested positive for smoking marijuana. My first thought on this is we're in 2021. Why is marijuana illegal anywhere anymore? Seriously, just just why? If I can drink myself to liver cirrhosis, I should be able to smoke myself to a baked brain if that's what the result is. Civil liberties, personal liberty. If I want to do that, I should be able to do that. As long as it doesn't impact anybody else. And that's always been my stance on this forever. Crimes against self, crimes against no one should not be crimes at all. If I want to sit on my front step or on my deck and smoke a joint, I should be able to do that. The same way I can sit on my front step and have a Heineken or Chimay, because that's my favorite beer, beer, Belgian beer. Yes, it is. Or sit on my deck and do the same thing. Why does it matter? Now, I'm not snorting no coke and I'm not doing no crack, just to be pretty transparent about that. But if I want to smoke weed on my property, in my house, amongst friends, why is it illegal? Now, granted, there are some states in the United States where it is perfectly legal, but it's also illegal in many other states. And now the caveat to this is this really wasn't a United States thing. It was a World Olympic, whatever that name of the organization is. They set the rules for this. But it's about time that we stop penalizing people for indulging in things that don't hurt anybody. If she was drinking beer, leading up to running, there'd be no problem. If she's doing shots of tequila, which by the way, I would happily participate in your high five. But if she was doing shots of tequila before racing, there'd be no problem. Weed is not a performance enhancing drug, number one. If anything, it makes you eat like a motherfucker. So maybe if you were doing like the hot dog eating contest as I'm in New York every year, maybe that would be something that'd be performance enhancing if you smoke weed before that. I don't know. But... Part of me feels bad because, you know, assuming that her version of the story is true, she did this because the loss of her mother, she was coping, it got her through it. That's a tough pill to swallow. That's that's something that someone is using to cope with a unimaginable situation. I've never lost a parent. My parents are getting older, so unless I pass first, that's going to happen someday. Whether I cope with it with weed or alcohol or working out like a madman or traveling or whatever my coping mechanism is to get through that as long as it doesn't impact anybody else it shouldn't matter and it's definitely not performance enhancing so i feel bad bad for this young lady because of all she's going through and now the one driving force if you imagine in her life she was pushing to get past that loss is being taken away from her because of archaic policies but I will give her credit for accepting responsibility and whatever that punishment was she knew it was on the list she did it anyway she tested positive she accepts it personal responsibility is something we say we want out of people she took that personal responsibility 
she did that. And so let's let her continue to heal in peace. And hopefully she'll come back in the world, I think in two years, and she'll blow everybody off the track. And hopefully she'll come back in four years, wherever the Olympics are, and do the same thing. Hopefully it's just a life lesson. It's just a hurdle, literally, figuratively, that she's jumping through, or jumping over, I should say. But I'm hoping that she comes back stronger, faster than ever. Lastly, I want to turn to something that happened literally within 24 hours of me recording this. Suzanne Douglas, who is an actress on the stage and the screen, passed at the age of 64. So random, so just out of the blue. I saw it this morning when I logged into Instagram. It was it was plastered on my timeline, went on Facebook, and then I just did a Google search, and it's everywhere that she passed. So I knew it was legit because every organization was reporting it because you got to check these things sometimes. But I remember back in the 90s, there was a movie called Jason's Lyric. And believe it or not, um, Jada Will Smith or Jada Will, Jada Pinkett Smith actually played the main actress in this movie. But Suzanne Douglas played the mother of Jason and Joshua. So Jason's Lyric was about a character named Jason who had struggled with killing his father because he was abusing his mother and so he couldn't sleep he didn't trust people he didn't trust his own feelings um, all these things and his brother Joshua who was just a head case bad guy always in jail doing the wrong thing it's a really really great movie and it's a great love story um, but she was the mother in this movie Suzanne Douglas was and I remember that was the first time I saw her and she played such a great powerful role um, Forrest Whitaker was the father who was killed in the movie, by the way. Um, but she played such a powerful role and guiding role, you know, dealing with two sons on two completely different sides of the fence and how they behaved and carried themselves through life. And it was such a, you know, a loss to me in the acting world and mainly the black acting world. Because she, if you ever go and get a chance to look at some of her performances that may be on YouTube, her characters and acting she's done on stage, she was very talented. And 64 in his day and age is very, very young. My grandmother passed at 62 in 1988. And I always look at that age as, you know, one of those gone way too soon ages. The 60s are just way just too soon. Even for the most part, 70s are kind of going too soon. Like getting to the 80s is my goal. Right. Getting to the 90s. Listen, I'm just sitting there and I'm going to say whatever the hell I want to say. You ain't going to do shit about it because I'm 90. What are you going to do? I lived a long life. But, you know, 60s to me is just going way too soon. And so I hope that her legacy is of great acting on stage and in film and that people remember the talent she was and a talent that's been lost because she's played so many great roles over time. And so as we go to commercial, before we come back with our guests, we're going to go with a moment of silence for Suzanne Douglas. We'll be right back. Simple solutions for complex problems. For 15 years, the mantra has been the practice of SRE Solutions, providing business intelligence, application and website design, and PC repair services for clients. 
SRA Solutions has a simple solution for your problem, regardless of the complexity. Contact SRA Solutions at www.sresolutions.org and get your problem resolved today. All right, so welcome back. Welcome back. Um, you know, music has always been one of my passions. I'm, I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s. You know, I'm 40-something I'm years old. Um, so I grew up on Marvin Gaye, Smokey Robinson, Barry White, you know, Teddy Pendergrass, Teddy P, as I called him. And the thing about those artists back in the day is they told a story, right? All their songs told a story. Unless you're Teddy P and you just wanted to yell at somebody because Teddy P yelled at a lot of women in the songs. But... You know, true artists rarely fit into this single box. You know, the talent today, especially today, allows for artists to mold and shape several genres into their style, in their box, if you will, to produce great music and more importantly, attractive sound, right, you know, to the ears. And so remember last episode, we had Problem Child on and we're kind of digging into this music thing a little bit more. So I want to introduce my guest for this episode, Tanksley. And a little bit about him. He's an artist, songwriter, musician, producer. He's self-taught music instru- instrumentalist. Was born in Syracuse, New York, which, sidebar, fun fact, Syracuse is my favorite college basketball team. Um, his genre blends soul, hip-hop, and rock influences. We're going to talk about that a little bit. He's headlined at numerous universities, music festivals, private events, the New York State Fair. And he shared a stage with Grammy Award-winning artist Layla Hathaway, which, another fun fact, if, as you know, I'm a member of 586 Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. She's headlining our conclave in Myrtle Beach in about a month from now. So, lastly, he has a song and a music video for his latest hit, Tilt, which we're going to talk about. So, Tanksley, welcome to Dave's Head. How's it going? Yo, I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. And uh, yeah, Tilt, just out. Just came out. Nice. I'm excited about. We're gonna talk about that. In a, we're gonna talk about it in a second. But you know, before I, I we we get into the meat and potatoes of this this interview, I like to have my guests introduce themselves, tell the audience. You know, I know I gave you a little intro, but I like to have my guests tell the audience who they are, what they're about, and all that. So tell the audience who you are. For sure. Yeah. So I'm Tanksley. Um, I'm 25 years old. I've been making music uh, probably professionally since I was about 16. It just pulled me in like nothing else I'd ever uh, come across, really. And it was the best way to express myself at a time where it was really hard to. And, um, you know, my goal is just to make the best music that I possibly can without too much artistic compromise, honestly. Just trying to mm-hmm. tell true stories about um, from different angles, something that may not have even happened to me. It could be something I heard. You know, I'm just trying to share reality and then stretch it as much as possible in order to help touch people or help them get through something, you know. Gotcha, gotcha. And and before we even get to the questions, your, your your comment prompted something in my head. So artistic compromise. Do you feel like that happens too much in the industry, or is it something that you've seen in the course of your your musical journey? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say it necessarily happens too much. There's like so much going on in the industry. I think what happens is there's not enough spaces cultivating um, innovation in an artistic space right now. So I think it's hard to find places to do so unless you're like really focused on doing it by yourself you know so for people who work more um who work better like in larger groups i think there's only a few people that are truly devoted to that kind of thing you know 
Okay. So, so talk about your Syracuse beginnings. And I, and I led in by saying Syracuse is my favorite college basketball team. And there's a long story for that. We don't have to get into that, but I love Syracuse basketball. Um, yeah. Back when Carmelo, all that. Yeah, I go way back. But um, sure, sure. talk about your Syracuse beginnings and how Tanksley came to be. Yeah, uh, Bleed Orange. Uh, first of all, um, I've linked up with some some uh, instrumentalists around here that like really piqued my interest uh, after I came back from a year at college. <laughs> A very quick year at college um, and decided to take this thing like really, really seriously. And uh, their names are Trey Reed, who's the drummer for my band and Billy Harrison, who's the bassist. And then on trumpet, I also had, um, what's his name? Bucket, our trumpet, uh, trumpet players, Bucket. And um, he came in last. First, I met the drummer and bassist, who's Billy Harrison. And he really got me into music before I even went to school. And he was teaching me mm-hmm. drums and everything uh, way back when. So I started on rhythm and then I got on into the saxophone after I was playing uh, the drums in school. And I was like, well, I want to be able to actually play notes. You know what I mean? Like I want to do harmonies and stuff. So I got into that. And then because my ear was just a little different, I would, instead of reading the music, I would memorize it like very quickly and then be able to play it back. And then uh, the teacher was kind of shocked by that. and. I would end up singing the songs back to like that I was supposed to be playing on saxophone instead of playing it during the little practices. So I was like, well, I can't, you know, sing and play the saxophone at the same time. So I might as well mm-hmm. pick up something else. So that's when I finally got into piano and guitar, like really heavy around about 16. And um, it was just nine hours a day, like just putting the time in because it meant so much to me and it was helping me get through a lot of stuff. So that's kind of was the, the true beginning of me being like, okay, I'm, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life, no matter what, you know? Gotcha. So how many instruments do you play? Um, I don't really, I don't think I've counted. It's just like <laughs> mostly, mostly guitar and piano are like the main ones. Um, but, you know, like I play synthesizer, I play bass, I play drums. Um, yeah. I mean, I play... Uh, I haven't played the accordion. I want to learn how to play the accordion and the hmm. flute are next. Um, okay. Yeah, I can play clavichord, uh, organ, but those are, you know, they're all like pretty much keys. So mm-hmm. expanded on those types of things. <laughs> so talk about where your sound came from. So you say you're a combination of soul, hip hop, rock. Where did that originate? Who's your influencers? Uh, first, I mean, First and foremost, some of the people that you mentioned before, like Marvin Gaye, you know, uh, Isaac Hayes, the Commodores, um, Funkadelic, Parliament Funkadelic was huge for me. They had a little rock influence Mm -hmm. in there, actually more than a little. Um, Prince was a huge influence Mm -hmm. on me. Um, Artists who just, you know, kind of, those artists where you listen to them and every time that you hear a song, it's uniquely them, like there's no question about it being them. Those are always my favorites. Um, and then on the other side, when it came to like more acoustic and then some rock stuff, it started off with Coldplay. I used to just love Coldplay so much. Um, okay. And then I got into The Killers. Then I was going backwards and it was like The Beatles, The Doors, uh, Pink Floyd. I love Led Zeppelin a lot. They're a huge influence on me. Um, okay. Yeah. So it, it kind of just spread from there. And then I got an experimental music. 
Uh, now I like JPEG Mafia a lot, the newer people. Um, yeah, pretty eclectic stuff. Yeah, I was gonna say. So if I, if I were to say your 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 talent is eclectic and your your influence are eclectic, that that would be an understatement. I I guess yeah. I mean, um, it's just it, I'm just trying to make music that I like, you know. And I mm -hmm. guess after I just kept branching out and listening to all different stuff, and now I'm down to like I really get into prog metal. Um, this is a band called Plenty that I'm obsessed with right now. It's like, I mean, they don't call it jazz, but there's definitely a a hint of like a jazzish sound on top of this really clean melodic metal that's just like incredible mm -hmm. to me um but yeah i'm just always looking for something that stands out you know that that tells a story one way or another whether it's voice or guitar so would it be a true statement to say you analyze music you don't just listen to music but you oh, like absolutely. break it down to its components yeah yeah, that's um, that's one of the reasons I got into it. Honestly, I used to always um, sit down and really listen to the music like behind the singer before I even got into artists. It's like, in terms of a fandom, it was always just like, oh my gosh, what's happening with this music? And hip hop is the reason. Yeah, which is kind of important. Hip hop is the reason that I got into so many other genres because of the process you just explained. Actually, because okay. I would I used to listen to hip hop and I didn't really understand like the whole breakbeat thing or like I used to listen to older hip hop. I didn't understand that it was samples. So when mm -hmm. I was like probably, you know, six to ten ish, I just thought they were like instrumentalists playing that stuff. So I used to listen to like Lupe Fiasco and hear a Curtis Mayfield sample. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, mm -hmm. this music is incredible. And then I started Googling it later, you know, and then I, I went backwards from there. Uh, Kanye and all that stuff. So yeah, Puffy. that's, yeah, exactly. So that's one of the biggest reasons I got into so many genres, just like searching for more, you know? Gotcha. So shift a little bit. Talk about the, the funniest thing that's happened before in a performance with you. Oh, shoot. Um, funniest thing. Probably I had this one gig in New York. Was it in, was it in New Blue? It was either at New Blue or somewhere in Greenwich Village, but, um, I ran, I ran out the house, like rushing to get down to where I was staying before the gig. And I totally forgot to pack my guitar. So I got there and it was, and it was a solo gig. So it's just me and the guitar basically. So um, I didn't realize this until I pulled up in front of the thing and I go in my truck and I was like, hmm, there's only an amp in here. It's going to be a problem. So I had to, uh, <laughs> I had to run down to like a guitar center with about an hour to spare and try to like rent one out. And they're like, oh, we can't rent them, blah, blah, blah. So I went to another guitar center in, uh, in the city and they gave me one just in time. And I got back, I'd never played this guitar before. I just tuned it up and it, it stayed in tune, thank God. And it went well, it actually was like a decent guitar. So it, it worked out, but whew, I was like freaking out. I'm not even gonna lie. I was, I was so worried. <laughs> So is that a thing, you know, you, you have your baby, you have your guitar, you have your flute, your sax, like picking up something else that you've never touched before. Is that a thing to get warmed up or tuned up to it? Yeah, it definitely, for me anyway, you know, just like the way you play your licks and stuff, the way the wood feels, depending on what it's made of, really affects uh, the way you decide to emote just on the fly. Because sometimes when I play, a lot of it is um, improvisational once I know the mm. piece. So it definitely affects my mindset 
just based on how it feels in my fingers. But it, it, it worked out. You know, I just stuck to the the main songs and really got through it. Gotcha. So, I mean, you talk about a little bit about what the life of an artist is like, but talk about what it's really like to be an artist. You know, once the cameras are off, you're not on social media, the glitz and glam is all going. What, what's it really like? What's the reality of being an artist? I mean, <laughs> every day is a struggle to pull something out of myself, I'd say. Uh, the worst, it's the best and the worst part of it, honestly, mm. in terms of being artistic. Like, I'm always looking for something deeper in the well. And on some days, you have to just accept that it's not there, you know, or that you have to accept a plateau and that it might come tomorrow. There might be more at the bottom of the well. Um, mm. But that's what it's like for me, because I spend a lot of time um, by myself, just like in the studio, writing new parts, coming up with different ideas. And you might have a million little guitar pieces, uh, small compositions or piano pieces and no lyrics and vice versa, like a bunch of poetry that needs to be turned into lyrics. And that's how my process is. So it's a little, it's a little hectic sometimes <laughs> trying to meld things together to get complete songs that like truly tell stories. Cause for me, it boils down to emotion. So I'll have like many pieces of written material that kind of give a general sense of an emotion that I've been having. And then I'll, when I'm finished, I see the connection between like this other piece that I might've written like a couple of weeks ago, you know, and then hmm. I mash them together. So day to day, that's the biggest struggle for me probably. So do you ever create something, get to the end, and, like, I'm just tossing this away? Um, yeah, I have not, – not completely tossed away. I put them to the side, you know. Sometimes I've come back to things, like, years later, but, like, oh, this could be a cool bridge for this, this okay. song um, because it just wasn't a complete emotion. If I don't feel like it's hitting me at all, if I listen to individual parts, then I, I probably won't put it together and finish it. Gotcha. So for someone who's thinking about breaking into the industry, getting started, what advice would you give them as far as the do's and don'ts? How can they be successful? I mean, the one thing, I mean, it's really cliche, but there's, there's like no other way to say it. You gotta, you have to keep pushing and you have to believe in yourself and, and your artistic goals. Mm -hmm. um, I, well, I'd say matching your artistic goals with, your business goals too. But first and foremost, the art has to be right. Otherwise you're kind of playing with fire. If, if it's not proper anyway, then there's no point in doing the other part. Um, but even, even when people say, oh, you know, if someone says that they don't like your stuff, that's not the end of the world. If someone says that it's the best thing they've ever heard, that's also, not the end of the world and it's not the height of your ego you know i think it's important to accept music and respect it for what it is and its place in the world as an art form and its range of ability to touch people so i feel like maintaining a level of respect for the art and then yourself as a player you know in that space helps you kind of navigate the ups and downs that come with trying to break through the industry but you have to keep your head straight. You can't, uh, there's not a lot of time for like wallowing if things don't seem to happen as quickly as you want them to, you know? Gotcha. 
That's great advice. So I imagine one of the highs that you've had since you broke into this industry is working with Layla Hathaway. So how was that experience? How did that come about? And second part of that is who's on your collaboration list going forward if you have a list? Yeah. So um, the Layla Hathaway thing, I, I got the opportunity to open for her. at It was actually at Syracuse University at the Shine Student Center. Um, I think it was a couple of years ago now. Yeah. And um, we, you know, I was, I'd already played a couple gigs around that area and in the shine before. And I, I just called up some people that we knew and I was lucky enough to be able to be in that position that they thought, you know, my music would be suitable for an opener for her. So we called their people. They listened to me. Um, I talked to them for a bit and they were like, yeah, man, um, this would be awesome. So do your thing. I did about four or five songs, nice little set with my band. We all came and slammed, made it like real jazzy. We had the trumpet player going off. He was killing it. Um, and yeah, it was an amazing experience, honestly. And then we got to talk after a little bit, which was so cool. She's such mm -hmm. a wonderful person, you know, inside and out. Um, just incredible talent. The things she does with her voice, including the, I don't know if you've heard, but she can essentially split the her vocal cords into two separate sounds and like harmonize with yourself there's a video on youtube i've never day. i've never heard that but i i'm man. looking forward to hearing it next month i gotta ask somebody about that yeah man you should it's it's a video that she did with a, a band called snarky puppy and it's a i don't remember what song it is but it's incredible she she does like a a huge falsetto and it just splits into two notes her control is probably one of the greatest uh, vocals. Yeah, I definitely have to look up, see if she got a YouTube video or something. Yeah, no, it's out there. But uh, yeah, that was a definitely a highlight. Awesome. I'd love to work with her again. And then in terms of other people, um, I really like Anderson Pack's stuff. He's awesome. He's killing it right now. Um, I like her. Mm. Her music is really cool. Vibing yeah, with that. I love her. her. Her new album. Yeah, right. Um, who else? The band I mentioned earlier, that'd be that'd be interesting, I think. The prog metal band on like a mid tempo or like softest thing on their side and then something harder for me in terms of singing. I think a combination of that would be cool if they ever did something like that. Um who else? I'd like to write with Ed Sheeran. Cause I like mm. I like his ability to like make songs digestible without throwing away like stories you know because i feel like something i struggle with sometimes is like just telling it exactly how it is so that everyone can understand and see themselves in the story because i'm mm -hmm. i'm kind of a dreamer so if if left to my own devices i will like create a story that's set in like a world that doesn't even really make sense for lack mm. of a better, I'm trying to, does that make sense? <laughs> no, that, make, that, make, that makes sense to me. I don't know if it's going to make sense okay. to everybody else, but it makes sense to me. Yeah, okay. Not so, saying I'm the most important thing, but you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, if you get it, that's all that matters, right? Um, yeah, that's the way I feel anyway. <laughs> so yeah, um, I just think it's cool to like writers who can truly like grab people on such a large scale without, you know, just making like a bunch of sentences that don't combine or have a, a larger mm -hmm. meaning at the end of them um so that's that's cool there's probably more but for some reason i can't think of it i'll let you know if i think oh, i got you 
So, so talk about Tilt. You know, what was the the creative mindset behind that song, and what's the message in that song? Yeah. So, um, Tilt came about. Um, I was asked to work in a studio in Syracuse, actually downtown, and I went there just looking to make a song that was like a little more fun than my other songs, just more, just a bop. Like I just wanted a groove that you just couldn't like sit down to a funky, something funky. So we went in there, uh, pulled up a drum kit. I started like playing with the pads. It was a, I think it's like a Dilla drum kit that we edited and stuff. I like layered a bunch of drums. Um, and then once we got the loop down, I was like, oh shoot, this is, this is something. So uh, grabbed a guitar, just did some quick chonky noises piano it was pretty simple it's like really naked compared to my other songs and i feel like artistically it was good for me to do that because i was like making some really heavy complicated stuff not even complicated just layered like multi-layered and again this is along the lines of uh, me sometimes making it too difficult for people to see themselves in the song because i like to analyze music so i'll sit there and like spread all the instruments out but sometimes it's nice to just have this space so i was like i'm gonna leave space in this one um and about halfway through the writing process which happened really quickly this time um it happened in about 15 minutes for me which is quick the way i usually write um and I didn't know what I was writing about, actually. I, and then when I was done, I looked back and I was like, oh my gosh, this is about women empowerment. And some, somewhat of the, the Me Too movement was kind of hitting my thought process when I was just spewing words out um, mm -hmm. over the beat. And something about it felt raw and unashamed. And I was like, this is clearly not about me at all. And that doesn't always happen. But after yeah when i was when i was finally done and i was able to figure that out we were like okay i got the the name of it tilt down into the chorus and i was like oh shifting perspectives and then i was able to get the second verse done um because it starts off and it's like shouldering our tribe like a myth you rinse me of my foolish woman king with the crimson skin and vision through oblivion and I was like, woman king with a crimson skin. Like I didn't I didn't even know what that meant. It just rhymes, you know. So I was and I was like, okay, I'm talking about black women and the things that are afflicting our people right now and how they kind of a lot of the things uh stem from black women specifically. A lot of the things that need to be fixed are aimed most strongly at black women and their existence, essentially. So I was I was kind of ruminating on ways to make a fun song without that that kind of lifted them up but still hints at the idea of like if we fix this you know what i mean then we will all be better for it you yeah. know the way i the so, way i kind of looked at it when i when i watched the video and i listened to the song i, I kind of felt the playfulness but i kind of felt it was more so like disarming right like you're, you're tense because you're always enduring. You're always going through something. And this song is more so to disarm you. I'm here. I'm right. good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of, uh, uh, what's the word? I was, I was holding back a bit from like making it, you know, too, too busy and too contrived. Because once we got mm -hmm. those original tracks, I was like, this is saying, I think what it needs to say. Just yeah. a simple 
energetic little song. So yeah, I'm I'm excited that people are like digging it and you know, here and I'm glad that it's finally out. Um and I'm glad that it ended up saying something and that I was kind of just led in that direction. Cause it's a little different for me. What would you want women to the message as far as how would you want them to feel after listening to this song? I mean, I want you to feel like first of all, these are the baddest chicks in the world. <laughs> and I want them to know that like you know, that there's black men on their side, first of all, because I think that's a big thing when it comes mm-hmm. to um, sometimes when we're dealing with our own inner struggles, it's harder to see the other side and see, not even just see the other side, but see the connection between the two sides and things that we sometimes have gripes with each other with um, yeah. all people, you know, it's just hard to look the other way. So it's all about feeling the best that you possibly can in this moment as we move forward and try to tilt our perspectives. That's mostly what I hope they feel. And I'll say this, you know, if you get a chance and I'll post links and all that to, to the YouTube video and, and your website, but I hope people, especially women, I hope women listen to this song. Um, like I said, yeah, I, sure. I kind of got playful and disarming. Like you just feel like it's okay once you're done listening. And I'm not a woman, obviously, but you know, yeah. as you're listening to the song and lyrics and the, and the chorus and all that, just, it feels disarming to me. So hopefully you get that too. Yeah, man, um, for sure. So last question in this segment. So what's next for Tanksley? You know, five years from now, what do you want the narrative about Tanksley to be? Shoot. Um, five years from now. I'm an overthinker. And you can start uh, with, I know you're trying, I know you're coming out with a new album or you're trying to work on a new album. So we can start there yeah. and then we can go to five years. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm definitely working on an EP or an album right now. Um, I have a bunch of songs in the vault and it's a matter of, you know, piecing them all together as I was explaining before. Um, so definitely stick around and follow me, you know, on social media and stuff. If you guys are into what I'm doing and the messages, so, uh, it's at tanks, the music everywhere. And the next five years for me, I mean, I guess I see myself where most people would want to see themselves in five years, more, more well-known, you know, more opportunity to touch people. I'd like to have be performing at bigger venues, obviously. Cause there's something it's incredible. Like the energy that you get from a crowd mm-hmm. and the way that it's just different every single time, the give and take is like my favorite part of a live performance because depending, you know, depending on who's in the crowd, the way they receive the song and you can, you can feel it, even though they're not saying it like singing directly with you when even if they're just humming along and like silent eyes closed, you know, you can just feel mm-hmm. the energy that comes from them and the way they receive it. And then it makes the song come out a totally different way each and every time. And that's something that I stress with the band. Um, in, in a, I stress it, but it's really a, a sense of freedom because I just trust them to do whatever they feel in that moment. And we're, I think mm-hmm. we're really good at bouncing off of each other in that freedom. Um, so I hope we get better at that, you know? And I hope we bring something different to the industry completely. Um, I, I'm always looking to push the envelope while making my music as accessible as possible so that, you know, everyone can jam vibe out. Got So I know I said that was the last sec- uh, question for the segment, but I got a follow up real quick because you, you triggered a thought of me. So you trust the band. So your performances are, you know, people have set lists and all that and they go song by song and they typically kind of try to stick to what people remember from the album version, if that's the case. 
is your band more so like we have this song and if my drummer's feeling this in this moment, we're going to let that happen. If my sax is, is feeling this, we're going to let that happen. If I'm feeling this, I'm just going to give a signal and it, we just, we just flow with it for the 20. If it's a five minute song, we're going to make it 20 minutes. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes both ways. It depends on the gig. Honestly, it depends on the gig. We definitely try to make sure, you know, it's not like ridiculously long. If it's a specific gig. <laughs> yeah. or like, 20 minutes know, might have been ridiculous. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's that's like, some Luther Vandross level stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe later, though, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past this. We definitely could, because in practices, that's definitely what's happening. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I trust them completely. And it's it's just so much fun. And honestly, sometimes it happens without a signal. It'll just You just feel it, you know? I like having people around and musicians that can just feel what they're doing. And I want them to all be better than me, which is not that hard to do. There's so many musicians out there. There's always musicians that are better than you. And when you put yourself in a position, especially, like, as the lead of a group, I feel like as a musician, they should all be better than me, you know? Because like that way I can feel, I can feel their freedom mm-hmm. because they know what they're doing so well. And then I can put the rest of my freedom into singing instead of like doing that thing where I analyze the music as it's happening and try to keep like some kind of hold on it. I just completely let go. And that's really the best feeling. So uh, yeah, I definitely hope to keep that building as time goes on for sure. All right, I promise you this is the last one of the segment. So you, you mentioned analyzing a couple of times. And you keep triggering follow-ups for me, but you mentioned analyzing. So I'm an analytical person, so I, I kind of empathize with you right now because I feel like okay, yeah. the anal- analyzation that you do is sort of kind of like a little handicap, right? Like it, it kind of stunts your productivity or you feel kind of like the way. Is that what you feel? Absolutely, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes it's, it's a positive. Every now and then, you know, like if something needs to be worked out like a piece of music or something it can turn into a positive thing i've definitely gotten pieces that needed that like extra babysitting along the way mm-hmm. to grow up and you know become something uh because you could feel that it was almost there it just needed the right mm-hmm. fertilizer but um but overall yeah it, it definitely can be uh debilitating a little bit it, it can it can slow you down it can make you question little things that are somewhat inconsequential, you know? So that's why I guess when you asked about um, tips for moving forward, beyond just looking, thinking about what other people think, you know, even what you think of your own stuff, you have to keep putting music out. You have to Mm -hmm. keep your head down and trust what you're doing in that moment. Because, you know, even if nothing is perfect, nothing is perfect. Perfection is impossible to achieve and I think by continuing to put the music out and see what it does in the world and let that come back to you, you know, you're going to grow so much more than if you just hold on to music like forever and Mm. never see how it actually lives in the world. You know? Yeah. When I had, uh, so my last episode, I had problem child on, who's a Philly based um, group. Um, And way back in February, I had a producer composer by the name of Dennis Atkinson Jr. on. And so last episode, I referenced Dennis because we were talking about different aspects of music and doing too much. And 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 to your point, the the analytical side being overly analytical. And Dennis talked about you you have that thin line between doing just enough and and doing way too much to to attract. Right. And so that kind of prompted me thinking, you know, you mentioned analytical a couple of times. That's kind of what Dennis is talking about. Right. Yeah. I've been checking that out for sure. I've heard of Problem Child. I've heard of Problem Child. I got yeah. to look more into that. But um, 
yeah, yeah, it's definitely definitely ups and downs that come with that. No question. Gotcha. All right, so Tanksu, that's the end of the Q and A segment, and so the next little part of this interview I like to do is call first thoughts. And so for my audience, if this is the first time you're listening, like I always say, shame on you, but I'm happy you're here. The way first thoughts works is I pose a phrase or a word to my guest, and they give me literally their first thoughts. And so they're not privy to the words or phrases I'm going to give them. So Tanksu, you ready? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right. So the first one, is, I like to start off with softball ones just to make it a little easy to kind of work our way into it. But the first one is okay. favorite artist of all time. If I say favorite artist of all time, what's your first thought? Stevie Wonder. No question. It's definitely so, got to be Stevie Wonder. I'm going I'm to edit this out a little bit. I wanted to see that line that's right there. What does that say? It says what? I kind of drew a line through it, but Stevie Wonder. That's oh, what <laughs> yeah. Yep. So literally that was my guess. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So why Stevie? And feel free to elaborate as much as you want to. Um, Stevie. I mean, he's one of the artists that um, when I finally found his music, well, I say finally found, at one point in my life, I was only allowed to listen to John Legend and Stevie Wonder. And those are the two CDs that I found in my house. And I just had them on repeat because my parents weren't trying to let me listen to hip hop when I was like super young. So mm -hmm. uh, that's one of the reasons probably. And then on top of that, his music is so transcendent to me on an emotional level. Um, mm. I feel like there's no other artist who's made music at, at the very least pop music. Um, but I mean, I put it right up there with Bach, um, that touches so many people in such a soulful way while also keeping their story straight. Um, and he's just... He's, he's freaking Stevie Wonder, like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, that is that is literally enough. <laughs> yeah, right, like, and, and I think he, he does, like, his songs, you can hear the other genre influences, too, of the things that he was hearing over time, which I think mm -hmm. is not talked about too much, but his influence on um, Jimi Hendrix, mm. there, he had a lot of influence on Jimi Hendrix, he had a lot of influence on Prince, obviously. And I just feel like he's it's one of those artists where pretty much all my favorite artists, at least in soul music, um, would not have been able to make the same music that they made had he not come along and changed the game, you know? Gotcha. That's a great choice. Great, great choice. So next first thought, and it's just a phrase, just want to get your thoughts on this, the future of music. What's your first thought? Mm. First thought. Oh, this is selfish, but I'm not going to lie. I'm going to say myself because um, that's something I've always just told myself as a way to like keep doubt in check. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, I mean, that's a goal that I have. That's something I'm always striving for. So at the very least, that was my first thought because I keep that in my head to keep myself moving, you know? Yeah, another. Hey, listen, confidence is the key too. Yes, sir. <laughs> another wrong with that. All right, next to last, first thought. And it's, some people find it's controversial. So, studio artists versus stage artists. Mm. What's your first thought? Versus stage artists. First thought. Um, ah, shoot. Imp both important. That's the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, I feel like to be one of the best artists at least in my opinion, the way I usually look at it is that you have to be pretty adept at both. Um, so 
in the studio, I think the freedom to to play, um, and not even just like typical musicianship, but just to play like like children play, and to be expressive in as many ways as you can find in that space is something that not everyone has. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side, you know, the ability to do uh, the same thing in respect to a live performance is something else that not everyone has. Some people are wizards in the studio and don't feel comfortable being on stage at all. And I, I think if you find a blend of those two, that's, you're, you're off to the moon, honestly. Or yeah. even, even a balance, you know, just a decent balance of both kind of sets you apart, yeah. honestly. I will say one of the, uh, the most memorable and one of my favorite studio and stage artists is Anita Baker. You oh know, yeah. She, she, I, I got a, had the opportunity to see her on a farewell tour. She came to Philly. And when I uh, heard that, like Lucy has been my favorite artist since the nineties. Like there was no way yeah. I was missing that. And That's I think funny. I was in fifth row, seventh row, something like that. And she like the Rapture album, like was, was in my ear. It was crazy. Like at that age wow. and, you know, not saying she's that old, but you know, all this time she's been singing still sounds yeah. exactly the same. It was crazy. Wow. That's incredible. I would kill to be in that seat. <laughs> oh yeah. It was amazing night. Absolutely amazing night. Wow. So last first thought, and I really want to find out what your thoughts on this are. Okay. Prince, ver- Prince versus MJ. What's your first thought? Oh Lord. Um, I'm going to, this is tough. I'm going to go with Prince just because. I just want to point out again. What does that say? <laughs> two for two guessing. Yeah. Um, shoot. Yeah. It's got to be Prince for me. Just because the the level of musicianship, I feel like Prince could play more instruments. And then when it comes to the live thing, they're so different um, mm-hmm. while having a lot of the same influences that I can't really, I can't even judge because it's just so incredible what they were able to do with their similar influences, you know, from like James Brown mm-hmm. and stuff. So I feel like they're just too, they're kind of too untouchables to me. While I guess Michael would have a slight advantage in terms of like dancing, just dancing chops if that's it. Oh yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> and then, you know, Prince has the advantage instrumentally yeah. And I guess his control of musical emotion mm. is off the charts. Like, it's impossible to gauge against anything else. It's completely unique. And I feel like he hits, you know, he sings about love a lot, just like we all do. But it's it's unique every single time. When When he did his song, it was Prince's angle and nothing else. Just a pure mm-hmm. stream of individuality you know in motion and i feel like there's not enough of that and you just gotta respect it you know yeah not saying that i uh, i'm giving an answer to this question at all but i used to have a prince <laughs> um it was a beautiful girl in the world that single which had oh, yeah. like four or five different versions like it had a guitar version had a cappella version the lp yeah. version and it was like two other versions on it and I remember in my, mm-hmm. going way back in the, you know, my little box had just playing that CD on repeat because every version was, was amazing. And so right. I'm, again, I'm not giving an answer to this debate. I'm just saying. <laughs> After had, you throw me out of the bus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying I had to single. Yeah. 
But yeah, they're both amazing stars, and and both going way too soon. And so yeah, it's 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 one of those debates where there's no real wrong answer unless you're yeah. in a crowd full of people who support one or the other. But right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It, they're they're both amazing talents, and their their legacies will live far beyond probably both you and me. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, Tanksy. Well, that's the end of first thoughts. And so before we go, what I'd like to do is give you the opportunity or is there anything you want to promote or tell the audience about, feel free to do so now. Bet. Um, so yeah, if you guys haven't heard already, Tilt is out. It's my newest single. Uh, it's about women empowerment, um, black female empowerment specifically. And I just hope you guys can vibe out to it, rock out with us. It's on YouTube. It's on all the streaming platforms. Whichever one's your favorite, go download it. Go save it, go hard it, listen to it, tell me what you think, and uh, stick with me because we got a lot more stuff coming, different sounds, uh, just getting as creative as we can possibly be. So if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Tanksley Music on Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, everywhere. That's T-A-N-K-S-L-E-Y Music. And uh, yo, thanks so much for having me on, Dave. This is uh, This is awesome great conversation for sure not a problem it's a pleasure having you on and we'll be back with our headers hang-ups right after this hey headers yeah i didn't coin the phrase i know during my podcast you'll notice that between segments you hear commercials kind of like this one the commercials are either paid sponsorships or promotional for people who support my podcast well, I like to provide that same opportunity to all my headers. If you like and support, well, technically you don't have to like it, I guess, but I mean, it's kind of weird and somewhat creepy if you don't like my podcast, but you're still faithfully listening to it. Anyway, if you at least listen to my podcast, I like to offer you the opportunity to advertise on it. Now, before you say it, there's no cost. Hashtag free. If you have a charity or community event or anything going on where you're paying it forward, Shoot me an email with a summary and the key info, and I'll do all the rest for you. Or, you know what? Get creative and do a 30-second ad yourself and send it to me. Either way, send it to davesheadpod at gmail.com. Let's spread the news about great things together. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. Welcome back. I want to thank my guest, Tanksley, for joining us in Dave's head to give us his background, his story, his inspiration, and so much more. Check out his single that just dropped, Tilt. Go through his website, tanksleymusic.com, all his social media, and so much more we'll cover. If you didn't get it the last segment, we'll cover it before the end of this episode. So with season two of Dave's head, I started a new segment called Headers Hangups. An opportunity for you to submit topics and questions for me to discuss or answer during an episode. Now, generally, I'll choose one or two of your hangups, depending on how in-depth the hangup is. Today, I've chosen two. Let's get to it. The first one is this. With all the violence in Philly, if you were mayor, what would you do about it? First of all, um, the easy answer is to say, I'm going to get the guns. So that's part of it, right? There's so many illegal guns in Philly that there has to be a way to find out who's trafficking these guns. Guns just don't show up. They don't just mysteriously wind up in a city. They come through ports. They come through people driving. They come through all different types of ways. 
one of the first things I would do is put more police in the neighborhoods. Now, you may say, Dave, you kind of seem like anti-police lately. No, I'm not anti-police. I'm anti-bad police. And I made that abundantly clear. I love good police. I love great police. I don't like bad police. I grew up in a time when police officers used to walk around the neighborhoods. And now, granted, in the 80s and 90s, there was a lot of violence going on. But the drug epidemic was skyrocketing. Police aren't in the neighborhoods anymore. Police drive through the neighborhoods. Police make arrests in neighborhoods. They intimidate in neighborhoods. They don't walk the neighborhoods. Get to know the people. Build the trust. They don't do those things. That needs to come back in order for the community as a whole to feel like they can police themselves. So the first thing I would do is put more police in neighborhoods. Walk in the beat. Two, three, four. Walk in the neighborhoods. Two on each side of the street. Just walking down the street. That's number one. Number two, reform. We've got to root out the police that don't do good policing. Now, you may say, how does this relate to the violence in Philly? Believe it or not, there are some police that are complicit in what's happening. You may not believe that, but there are police who know who the bad actors are, know who the drug dealers are, know who the gun pushers are. Turn a blind eye. Quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. Got to get that one right. That's tough. Quid pro quo. You give me a source when I need it, I'll let you do what you want to do. That's got to stop too. I get it. The big sharks, the big fish, they matter. The small sharks are killing people too. And so the second thing is getting rid of the bad cops. The third thing is putting programs in place to revitalize these rec centers, these swimming pools, these gymnasiums, these parks. Give children a place to learn and play and grow like we used to. Playing hopscotch on the street. Hide and go seek. If you grew up when I grew up, catch a girl, freak a girl. I had a conversation about this at a barbecue last week. Catch a girl, freak a girl. That was a game. We grew up okay. Children need to feel safe playing in the street. Parents need to feel safe letting their children play in the street. Because when they do, the neighborhood is better. The community is better. But if every day when your child goes outside, you have to worry about, was that a backfire or a gunshot? Do I need to scream my child's name to get them to come back in the house now? Can I even let them go out without me sitting on a step watching them? When the neighborhood feels safe, the community feels safe, and the people feel safe. And in turn, if someone comes in trying to ruin that safety, that peace, that happiness, they're more inclined to say, oh no, this person is doing wrong, Mr. Officer. This person is doing wrong, Mr. Detective. And the neighborhood can stand together. And it's not just in the movies. But it's in real life. So those are three things I would do. Police on the street. Get rid of the bad cops. And make the community feel like a community. That's my answer to that question. Second question is this. What's your dream date? And how does it end? So, I guess it really depends if I'm planning the date or is this a collaboration. 
nine times out of ten i'm planning a date so my dream date would consist of this if it's someone who's local let's just hop a plane i'm not going to tell you where we're going we're going to hop a plane it's going to be a long weekend somewhere now if we're not local to each other i'm going to send you a ticket we're going to meet at this location we're going to have late brunch because unless it's somewhere close where we can land early in the morning it's going to be a brunch type of situation we're gonna have a nice brunch on a beach or with a great view we're going to check into our hotel for the weekend or the week whatever it is because dates don't have to be one night or one day or one weekend a date to me starts the beginning of never ending with the right person and so we have our brunch we check into the resort or hotel we go sit on the beach, have some mimosas. I have my tequila, my my dark and stormies, my rum and cokes, my rum and ginger, whatever I decide to have that day. Scotch, whatever. We have an amazing dinner on the beach with the water kind of coming in across our feet. Watch the sunset as we eat some amazing fresh food. We retire to our balcony in our suite. Listen to the night have some wine and we talk about life we talk about building something together because a date to me with the right person that type of date is with someone I want to build a future with I'm not just buying some tickets and hopping a flight for a date for anybody and then you know maybe some adult activities happen at night where we wake up and depending on where we are and if I'm able to I'm cooking breakfast if we're not, we're going to have breakfast on the beach. And depending on if it's just for a weekend, week, we do whatever we want to do during that time. Spend time on the beach. Spend time relaxing. Because again, a date doesn't have to be dinner and a movie, a couple drinks, and see you later. To me, a date is an investment. You're saying, I like you enough even if it's only like this much because we just met or if it's that much because we've known each other forever or somewhere in between but I like you this much that I want to take you out I'm going to treat you to something nice it's not about going to a steakhouse or going to somewhere else it's about spending quality time with someone that you want to spend more quality time with and so the end of that date that particular date now, it depends because I gave you two scenarios. Are we in the same city or are we in different cities? So if, if we're in the same city, we land. I'll have either a car service or limo or I'll drive, whatever. I take you to your front door. I pull out roses that I had a friend of mine stick in my car that day so they're nice and fresh. Or your favorite flower if it's not roses. And as you walk to your front door, I give you these flowers and I thank you for an amazing time. I give you a call when I get home and hopefully that leads to so much more. Now, if it's a case where we're flying to different places, then before you get on that flight, there will be your favorite flower. Now, if I'm very good at this type of stuff, by the way. I will figure out a way to get your favorite flower to the airport where we're splitting up, but don't worry. I got my ways. I got my people. But before I go, before we depart our separate ways, you'll have your flowers. I'll give you a kiss and thank you for an amazing time. And hopefully that builds on so much more. 
dating is a courting thing and there are still men out there and people that still court women and vice versa you know there's some women that court men too alpha males beta males alpha women beta women you know it's all types of combinations but at the end of that date especially if we're flying two different places while you're on that flight all those memories of that particular date and those flowers in your hand will be an amazing feeling and that's all I want so to answer the question my dream date my dream date is at the end of whatever that date time period is we both have a warm sensation in our bodies anticipating the next time we see each other that's how love is built that's how friendship is built that's how a foundation is built for a future and so I look forward to doing that at some point in the future whenever that is if you have a headers hang up please by all means send it to me through any of my social media or email davesheadpodcast at gmail.com and I'll be happy to answer just about every one of y'all questions because some of y'all questions are kind of just nah I'm not doing that coming up next after this break we'll talk about our grin for this episode and this month's giveaway contest we'll be right back after this hey good people you may have noticed some cool music playing for this show that music was provided by dj ms deluxe deluxe represents as one of the top female djs in philly since 92 she's been spinning in clubs on the radio and touring around the country and now is doing big things as a producer and local promoter under the main event philly check her out on instagram at dj ms deluxe that's dj m z d e l u x x and for promotions at the main event philly all one word that's dj ms deluxe doing it since the golden era music the 90s as i like to call it thank you for your support and contribution to dave's head Welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you for sticking around. My favorite, favorite, favorite segment of Dave's Head is My Grin, which stands for Great Reason to Be in Love with Now. I've had a pretty typical, repetitive grin format for my episodes since season one. It's always been something to either motivate or give back or to inspire or teach. But I kind of wanted to switch this one up a little bit. Coming off a break, I had a lot of time to think over the past month on how I wanted to move forward with this podcast. And so I don't want to just focus on ways to give back, ways to motivate, ways to teach. I also want to look at ways to improve yourself. So I came across an article from 2010. Yes, 2010, entitled Inner Peace in the City, Seven Steps to Urban Zen. On Psychology Today by... Ilana Donna Arazi and hopefully I didn't butcher that name and so what she talks about is seven ways to get your peace your inner peace your person peace I always say peace is the bag peace and happiness but peace is the bag and so I have the link up on my website I have the link up on all my social media and I'll post it as well but here's the seven things that she talks about and I'll give you examples of what she's talking about and I'll also tell you my personal experience with those seven things. The first thing, which is one of the hardest things for me, is put you first. 
She says, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be an ounce of good to anyone else. I like to do the analogy or the reference. If you think about when you take an airplane, they give you the whole thing. Oh, we're cruising this. Here's an exit this way, that way, blah, blah, blah. By the way, if pressure changes in the cabin, the mass will drop from the ceiling. Put yours on first, then assist someone else. You are no good to anyone else if you can't breathe, in an airplane analogy. But you're no good to anyone else if you're not right yourself. And I've struggled with this through the course of my life, putting myself first and putting myself in situations where as much as I want to be there for my friends and family and my close circle, being able to physically, emotionally, mentally be there because I have myself right in those three areas. If you put yourself first, you're good in those three areas to be there for someone else. The second thing she talks about is start your day with stillness. Now, I've been trying to do this somewhat for a while now. I usually wake up and I used to listen to jazz while I'm drinking my tea. Now, granted, she kind of talks about sitting still and meditating for 10 to 20 minutes every day before leaving your home. This was in 2010. There was no pandemic. We were leaving our homes every day or just about every day. In our pandemic or whatever phase of it we're in now, life we have right now, you might just get up and before getting out of bed, meditate, or before getting on the computer and logging into work, meditate. Or in my case, get my tea, listen to jazz. Start your day with calm and peace, as opposed to stress and worry and frustration and anger, or all the different negatives that you can think of. If you do that, you're able to work out things that you endure or encounter during the day so much better because you're starting from a place of calm and peace. The third thing she talks about is going inward. So finding that inner satisfaction with yourself because it lasts longer and it's more genuine. I'm a busy person. I told you all those things in the opening segment I did just in the month of June. There was so many more I didn't talk about. I have problems struggling with doing nothing. It's hard for me to do nothing. It's hard for me to relax. It's hard for me to chill. But part of one of the things I'm working on, and this is probably one of the ones I'm failing at right now, is being okay not doing anything. Relaxing. Finding peace within yourself instead of finding your peace in activities. I have to do this. I have to clean something. I have to do that. No, I can just sit here and relax. People look at my Instagram and Facebook and all that and say, you cook a lot. You do a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's usually my coping with doing nothing or having nothing to do. I'm like, I'm just going to cook. I, I got to eat anyway. So I might as well put together this whole big meal, marinate this, create this sauce, do that, because that takes what? Time. Time away from doing nothing. But I'm working on that one. That's a tough one for me, going inward. The next one she talks about is check your community. She says, make a list of people in your life and determine who drains your good vibes and who adds to your well-being. And I think this is a key no matter who you are, what stage of life you're in, whether you're a child, adolescent, young adult, middle age, older, your circle, your community is important. Who brings you up? Who uplifts you? Who elevates you? Who brings you down? Who drains you? Who sucks resources from you? You have to look at who adds to your life, who brings happiness every time they're around. Who asks you, checks on you, are you okay? And who every time you talk to them, it's something negative. Every time you talk to them, they need something from you. 
Now, I'm not saying get rid of people in your circle or your community. I'm saying check your your access, right? Check how much they have access to you. Check how much you're there for them. Check how much you're proactively doing things for them that they may not be doing for you. Addition and subtraction matters. If you're only adding to other people and they're always taking from you, you're going to be left empty. Check your community. The fifth thing she talks about is do one thing at a time. So every morning she says she makes a list of three big things she wants to do every day. Now I use Microsoft to do exclusively. It's on my phone, it's on all my computers, it syncs everywhere. Every day there's a thing called my day. You can add tasks from your list into my day, whether they're date based or just in your list for priority, whatever. And so every day I add five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten things to my list and I look at them like a plate, like I'm always talking about food, right? So I look at them like a plate. There's the meat, there's the, the, the main event of the plate. I'm going to eat that. Those are things I need to do. They're either date-based or I need to get them done today. Then there's the potatoes, right? They're things I want. They're garlic mashed potatoes. I want to fuck them up. Excuse my language, but I want to eat those mashed potatoes. And so I'm going to try to get those done. Those are after my meat. I'm going to eat those. Then there's the vegetables. I kind of want to eat them. I should eat them. They're healthy for me. But if I don't get to them, it's okay. Not that I like to waste food, but in, in this analogy, nobody's starving, right? And so you look at those three things. I put things I have to get done today or things that have to be done by today. There are things that I really want to get done today. And there are things that would be great to get done today. But if I don't get them done, I'll move into tomorrow. And so when I say do one thing at a time, when I agree with her in saying that, it's all about making a list every single day so you have a plan. I've got this appointment at 3 o'clock. i got these 14 things I need to do. Probably won't get to all 14, but I can focus on these five. Right? It's all about prioritizing and listing out what you need to do every single day. That way you have a plan of productivity and you can get to your piece. The next to last thing she talks about is let go. Pressure, worry, negativity only keep you stuck. Be patient and accepting of where you are in life. You're there for a reason, a season, or a lesson. Now, I added the season part because that made sense for my experience in life. But everything you're going through is happening for a reason, it's happening during a season, or it's teaching you a lesson. And so regardless of which reason it is, which one of those three things it is, you have to let it go. Tomorrow's a new day. All the things I've been through in my life, and I've been through some messed up shit, but all the things I've been through in my life, I've worked towards getting to the point of moving past it to where tomorrow's a new day and a new day and a new day. I don't just do hashtag enjoy life because life should be fun. I live it. I try my best to live it, regardless of what's going on in my life. Every single day I wake up, is a fortunate day to wake up. And it's an opportunity for me to move away from events that may have hurt, that have been wrong in the past. The old saying goes, yesterday's a history, tomorrow's a mystery. Today, I'm going to enjoy life. And that's what letting go is about. Yesterday may have sucked for whatever reason. This is a brand new day. 
a brand new opportunity to start your day with stillness, a brand new opportunity to check your community, a brand new opportunity to go inward, a brand new opportunity to do one thing at a time, and a brand new opportunity to let go of the past. The last one I think is going to be tough for some people to hear. Stop complaining. Now, her rationale for that is if you put together a gratitude list every morning and she says 10 things that you love about your life, I think 10 is a little excessive. I think if you say five, maybe three things that you love about your life, a gratitude list every single morning, you'll find yourself in a place where you don't need to complain so much. Now, personally, complaining is good to me. One, it's expression. You're expressing how you feel. You're not letting things slide. You're not letting things build up until they explode. Complaining is a way to say, in this moment, I need to teach you how to treat me. If it's a person or even if it's a job or if it's something you don't like, it's a way to vent out instead of keeping in. So I'm not a big, you know, person who's a, against complaining. I'll complain. I'll tell you how I feel. So I will say this, complain, but also make a list every single day. When you're doing your task list, when you're meditating, make a list of things that you're happy about in life. Say three things. And so as you go through your day, if you have to complain, you release that. You put that out there. I don't like this. The next day you wake up, you meditate. You list out the things that do make you happy. And that's the way it'll be. So those seven things, thanks to Ilana Donna Arazi, and I hope that I'm not butchering her name, you can find it on Psychology Today. The article from 2010 is entitled Inner Peace in the City, Seven Steps to Urban Zen. I'll post a link and share it for you and you'll be able to check it out for yourself. There's a lot more. I took some of the highlights from the article and then, you know, put my spin on it and talked about it. But you can look at the article yourself and get the full um, text of everything she said. Next to last, I want to talk about this month's monthly giveaway contest sponsored by Fitz Wellness. This month's winner will receive the all mossiness gift pack it includes three things the creamy pina colada sugar scrub which is six ounces of a scrub it's really really nice i have the mint charcoal one which is amazing one sea moss soap bar and a pineapple ginger infused sea moss gel which is also six ounces so go to our website you'll find links to the giveaway enter every day until the monday before the next episode drops which drops when the fourth week, fourth Friday of the month. Enter every day. You can enter every single day. Share, do all types of things for extra bonus entries. We've kind of switched our giveaway contest company. You'll see it. Just go to the website. Lastly, I want to thank Tanksley for joining Dave's Head. Check out his new song, Tilt. Hope you enjoyed hearing from him, his perspective, his road that he's taken as an artist and musician, producer, and so much more. Check him out on his website, www.tanksleymusic.com. On his YouTube channel, just go to YouTube and search for Tanksley Music, as well as at Tanksley Music on all social media. Personal accountability, peace, fits wellness, 
and Tanksley. All good reasons to be in love with now. That's all for this episode of Dave's Head. Following feedback on our Dave's Head podcast Facebook page, on Instagram and Twitter at Dave's Head Pod. Subscribe and give your sentiments at Dave's Head Podcast on YouTube and listen on your preferred podcast player at anchor.fm forward slash Dave's Head Pod. For more information on all things Dave's Head, check out our website at daveshead.card with two rs.co. Episodes premiere on the second and fourth Fridays of the month. Thanks to all my headers for tuning in and remember, enjoy life because life should be fun. Take care.